It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. The Bassmaster Classic, that Super Bowl of bass fishing, wrapped up last Sunday in dramatic fashion in Greenville, South Carolina, and Lake Hartwell. 54 of the best anglers in the world competed in this three-day competition, and in the end, Elite Series angler Jason Christie came out on top, weighing in 54 pounds of bass during the three-day event and taking home a $327,500 paycheck. Jason Hales from Park Hill, Oklahoma, and is not only one of the most respected anglers on the professional bass fishing circuit, but also a genuinely nice guy. That's something I found out when I had dinner with him and his fiancée and several other bass pros, courtesy of Melissa Boudot at Yamaha Marine during last year's Bassmaster Classic. This was a really tight tournament. Jason Christie and Kyle Welcher were actually tied for first place after day two, and Stetson Blaylock had a blazing hot start with a couple of five-pounders on the third day to take the lead himself for a while. In the end, though, Christie came out on top. Welcher came in a close second, followed by Blaylock. Then Justin Hamner from Alabama. And as for fifth place, that was none other than Chris Johnston, the angler I got to spend a practice day with at last year's Bassmaster Classic at Lake Ray Roberts in Texas. To all five of you, and especially to Jason Christie, congratulations. This is quite an accomplishment. This week, Gun America Outdoors Radio, we're going to talk to one of the anglers who fished the Classic and who did quite well. His name is Taylor Smith. He got to the Classic through the Working Man's Weekend Warrior Route, the Bass Nation Tournament Trail, and he'll tell you more about his experience during the final segment of our program today. Another angler we'll talk to is Bob Denon. He didn't fish the Bassmaster Classic, and he doesn't fish too many bass tournaments either, but... He does love fishing, and he just bought himself the Bass Pro Shops Cabela's King Cat USA Tournament Trail. Bob will tell you where the King Cat Tournament Trail qualifiers are taking place this year before culminating in a big payday for a couple of anglers at the King Cat Classic in Alabama this November. Bob also has some big plans to grow this tournament trail and get it some exposure on TV as well. If you're a catfish angler with a competitive edge, I think you'll want to hear more about this. On the hunting side of the field, I got a chance to talk with my old friend Jason Rousneville. I met Jason, oh, about a dozen years ago when he was working for Ducks Unlimited in the western U.S. For the past few years, though, he's had a new job as the executive director of Pope and Young, that organization that promotes bow hunting and keeps the records of all those animals submitted to their scorers that were taken by compound, recurve, or longbows during archery seasons. There's quite a bit of interesting history to this organization, and there's a lot going on as of late, too. In addition to this, we'll let you know about some more sportsman shows going on around the country this week. Shows where they have seminars where you can learn about fishing, hunting, and in recent years, outdoors cooking. One of the outdoors cooking seminars often covered at these sportsman shows is Dutch oven cooking, and you know what? You don't have to go to a Sportsman Show seminar to learn about that today. We'll tell you about it right now. 
Next up on America Outdoors Radio, let's talk Dutch oven cooking. Anyone who's had a cobbler out of a Dutch oven knows how delicious this can be. But how do you go about using a Dutch oven to cook? Well, we've got somebody who can help you with that. His name is Brooks Hansen. He's the public relations manager from our friends at Camp Chef. Brooks, great to have you back on the air. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, hop on and talk Dutch oven cooking with you today. Well, let's call this a, a Dutch Oven 101. You know, a lot of folks see the Dutch Oven in the store, and a lot of folks have probably bought one but haven't used it yet. And the fact of the matter is you need more than just the Dutch Oven itself, don't you? You do. I mean, it's the starting point is you've got your oven, and then you're probably going to need a few things to start cooking with, whether that's lump charcoal or just charcoal in general, so you have your heat source. But there's some cool things from Camp Chef that we have that would fit right in there, like a charcoal lighter basket, our lid lifters, a pair of heat gloves, which are really nice. So when you're dealing with the hot lids or handles, and then I think a lid lifter is key. Although, just use that lid lifter to lift the lid off to serve it, because if you're looking, you ain't cooking, and you want to let that oven continue to do its thing while it's cooking. And then also probably some uh, Dutch oven liners. Liners may clean up quick, easy, and eliminate that mess. All right, so you've got all this, and maybe a trivet, too, to put that Dutch oven on once you get it off the fire. Let's talk about how to use briquettes, especially with this charcoal lighter basket, to cook things in your Dutch oven. So you want to get your charcoal hot. And with a lighter basket, you can fill it about half full full of uh, briquettes. Then you're going to light it from underneath. There's an area where you can put some paper to get that fire started. And you do that over a fire pit or over a Dutch oven table, any fire safe area. And then what you want to do is once those charcoal, that they start lighting, you're going to watch for the wispy flames at the top of the lighter basket. That means your charcoal is ready to go. And then you're going to dump it out into your fire pit or on your Dutch oven table or wherever your cooking surface is going to be. And then you can start organizing your briquettes. And so there's several different uh, methods that you can hop online and see to see how you can regulate temperature. Because every Dutch oven is going to be different depending on the size. If it's a 14-inch, it's going to require more than, say, a 10-inch. But uh, usually what is really common in the Dutch oven world is the plus-two method, meaning if I have eight briquettes on the bottom to hold 350 degrees, I'm going to put 10 on the top because I'm going to want to really heat that top to push the heat down. So if I've got eight on the bottom, I go 10 on the top. If I've got 10 on the bottom, I go 12 on the top. That plus two is what's going to really even that heat. Well, let's talk about what's probably the favorite Dutch oven recipe for most folks. That would be a fruit cobbler, whether it's a peach cobbler, apple cobbler, blueberry cobbler. How do you make this in a quick and easy way? Everybody loves a good cobbler. The cool thing about cobblers, and you talked about being intimidated, this is probably one of the uh, easiest things to do on a Dutch oven. You can simply grab a cake mix and some canned fruit or some fresh fruit, whatever fruit you decide. You're going to just mix it together, throw it in the oven, and set it on your 350 degrees, whatever oven you're using, kind of regulate that with the briquettes that we just spoke with. And then you're just going to let it do its thing, and you're going to smell it. And this is my advice when you're cooking in a Dutch oven. If it smells done, it's done. If it smells burnt, it's burnt. If you can't smell anything at all, leave it alone. (laughs) I love it. That is true, Dutch Oven 101. All right. Uh, Give or take, I know we're not being exact here, but how long is a cobbler going to take to cook? I would say about 25 to 35 minutes, depending on ambient temperature outside and and what your briquettes are doing. All right. I think we've got time for a really quick breakfast recipe. Anything come to mind? Oh, man. One of my favorite things to do in Dutch oven or cast iron is a breakfast frittata. Um, Super easy. Just take your Dutch oven. You're going to whisk up some eggs. 
um, scramble them, add a little bit of milk. You're going to chop up some peppers, onions, and then a meat. Whether it's bacon, sausage, you're going to have some pre-cooked meat. Mix it all together in a bowl, dump it in the Dutch oven, put the lid on, and you want to bake that at about 300 degrees. And then, like I say, when you smell it, you'll smell it, lift that lid off, and you've got a perfect frittata. Oh, why do I always get so hungry every time I talk to you? All right, folks, there's some Dutch Oven 101 for you. And if you're looking for a Dutch Oven or any of the accessories that Brooks just mentioned, you can find them at stores all over the place. Just look for Camp Chef products. And you can also find them online anytime at CampChef.com. Again, Camp Chef, they're in all the big box stores, whether it be Bass Pro, Cabela, Sportsman's Warehouse, and others. And they are also online at CampChef.com. Brooks, thanks for sharing this with us. I think I'm going to break out my Dutch oven this weekend. Thanks, John. Have a good week. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. And if you are looking for a job in the firearms industry, I've got good news for you. Henry Repeating Arms is hiring. They're actually one of the top five long gun manufacturers in the United States. And what I love about this company is that all other firearms are made right here in America. They employ 550 people and they work in Ladysmith and Rice Lake, Wisconsin, as well as Bayonne, New Jersey. If you want to find out about employment opportunities, they've got a whole bunch of positions available at these places. And if you want to find out more Go to the website, henryusa.com. That's henryusa.com. And check out the job openings that are available. You should also check out the entire lineup of firearms they have, too. There's over 200 models, and they're sure that you're going to want to have. So, so whether you're after a quality, rugged, and reliable, and accurate shotgun or rifle that's made in the USA, or if you want to work for this family-owned company that makes all of its firearms right here in the USA... Go to HenryUSA.com today. This is the time of year to get out and cook out. So make your next meal sizzle with Camp Chef, the brand known for quality outdoor cooking. From camp stoves to cast iron, from smokers to grills, Camp Chef will change the way you cook outdoors. To eat like a king on your next adventure, go to CampChef.com or visit your local sporting goods store and get cooking. Whether you're serving breakfast in the backcountry or barbecue on the back patio, savor the simplicity with Camp Chef. Camp Chef, the way to cook outdoors. Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting goods stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is the voice for your public lands, waters, and wildlife. From the Canadian Yukon to the Florida Everglades, we're stepping up to conserve North America's public lands, defend our hunting and fishing traditions, and expand access to the outdoors. Find out how you can get involved at backcountry.com. 
backcountryhunters.org. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Bob Denon on the line. He's coming at us from Youngstown, Ohio today. He is one of the new owners of the Cabela's King Cat Tournament Trail. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you much. How are you today? I'm doing well. So before we get into some of the details about the, the King Cat Tournament Trail, what made you want to go buy this tournament trail? Kind of a funny story. About six, eight weeks ago, maybe maybe a little longer, two months ago, you know, I'm just a very strong crappie fisherman. I do a lot of the crappie tournaments across the United States. And I've always wanted to get my feet kind of into the outdoor community a little more. And so uh, the opportunity came. We looked at it, nonchalantly kind of looked at the, the King Cat and then started to look at some things. And I realized that it had better days than what it's had over the last two or three years. And decided to kind of look at and see what we could do if we could rebuild an actual national trail the way it needs to be. And so the more we started to look into it, the more we started to understand we got the right team put together, we could really bring this thing to a position of what we need to. Uh, my son, Andy, runs a, a media company called Replay Media Group, and we do some outdoor TV shows. And so we started to look at how could we add the TV show to the actual trail and when we started to put one on top of the other, it looked very, very promising that within the next couple of years, we think that we could get it back to a very strong national trail. And so that kind of pushed us over the edge and said, let's do this thing. Oh, this sounds really exciting, especially with the, the TV component factored in there. The, all you need now is just radio, but we'll talk about that some other time. Let's talk about, <laughs> the, tur- let's talk about the tournament trail <laughs> ahead. So you've got nine events that are happening this spring through early fall, and then it all culminates in the Cabela's King Cat Classic on the Tennessee River in Decatur, Alabama, November 4th and November 5th. Are these new dates that you came up with, or are these dates that were already established? No. These were already dates already established, and so we're going to continue those contracts for this year for 2022. In fact, we're in the middle right now of talking with some of these locations. They're already interested. A few of them have already sent us uh, contracts for next year. They're pretty excited about what we're trying to do as far as how, where we're going to be taking the trail. And so 2023, we're looking at a little differently. We're going to try, especially with the way the gasoline prices are and stuff like that, we're going to try to get it to the place of where there's four or five within each other and then move it into different spots of the United States so that our anglers will be able to, you know, fish for the points race without traveling, you know, 14 hours to get to a body of water that we're at. Well, in this day and age, I think that's a, a great idea. And folks, if you're wondering what states the King Cat Tournament Trail is in this year, we're talking about Tennessee, Ohio, Alabama, Illinois, Kansas, South Carolina, and Missouri. Do you see expanding outside of that in 2023? Uh, we do. We're probably going to schedule 12 regular qualifiers and then have a classic next year. We're not going to be doing a regional setup, per se, with points race and stuff like that. But we're going to try to set up at least four locations within a 350-mile radius of each other and then move to a different section of the United States and then bring the classic around somewhere in a neutral location between those three or four locations that we're looking at. Now, I know one of the challenges on the King Cat Tournament Trail has been, you mentioned the dates, and I'm going to guess that this has something to do with the weather and the water conditions. There's been several tournaments in the past where, you know, anglers have been dealing with flooded waters, which is always a huge challenge, or really severe weather, which is also a severe challenge. Is that what you were talking about when you are talking about changing dates? 
we're looking at that generality, you know, as far as when we're looking at the weather, as far as what the weather could be. Of course, you have more river flooding in the spring than you do in, in the summer or even in the fall. And so sometimes you have to look at different locations within the United States and say, okay, what's our odds of having a river flooding happening at this time? You're always going to have to deal with weather. But probably one of the biggest things is if we get on body water, say, the Ohio River, and it's 23 feet up, um, it's a little hard to have a safe tournament with those kind of conditions. Now, some you can do better with the higher water because of the current, but overall, when we're looking at the dates, I'm looking at trying to spread it out like we did this year with as many as we can have, but spread it out where we don't have back-to-back, just in case we have certain people that are wanting to travel and, and do more than just what's in their area. Let's talk about the incentives to fish this tournament trail. You know, you got the, the local events, you're trying to get your points, you're trying to qualify yep. for the King Cat Classic. How does that all work? Well, again, each qualifier, if you fish four, you automatically get qualified for the Classic if you fish four. The next one would be the top three will automatically qualify out of each tournament. And then, of course, each of those individuals will bump down. So you, if someone's already qualified, then you go to the next three after that. And so when we look at the qualifications, you have to either fish so many or you have to finish in the top three and then get bumped down on that is what we got to do. One of the things that we're doing for the Classic this year, of course, is we've hooked up very strongly with low boats, and uh, they're going to be giving two boats away. We're going to be able to give two boats away at the Classic. Nice. They're around $44,000 to probably fifty grand. we are looking at redoing some stuff on the boats as new owners and fully equipping them. So just out of the two boats and, and way that's going to be, the Classic winner is going to get one boat, and then the points race winner will get a boat, whoever wins the points race. And what we're going to do is if the Classic and the points winner is the same person, then we're going to bump down to number two in the points that will get that second boat. Gotcha. Um, and then, of course, we're doing this year, we're doing 100% payback for the tournament. The entry fees are $300, uh, but it will be 100% payback, and we're going to be able to certify that at each captain's meeting the night before of what exactly the payout's going to be. And then we're looking at doing a couple special things. We're not able to talk about it right now for the Classic to also get some cash to that number one, not just the boat, but also some cash to the, maybe the top 15. And then we're going to be doing an angler of the year or a rookie of the year. Probably rookie of the year would be a better way to identify it. And that'll be someone that doesn't have a lot of experience that's fished our trail that will be voted in as the rookie of the year. And they're going to be getting a prize also. The neat thing about the TV show is that classic winner gets their own episode on the TV show. The points race leader gets their own episode as the points race champs. And then the Rookie of the Year is going to get their own TV episode out of a 13-week episode. Um, And we're going to be um, on Pursuit to start with. We've got a contract with Pursuit Channel for right now, plus some other ones that we're in negotiations with right now. So we'll probably go on several different networks before the end of the year that we're working on with that. Well, I'll tell you what, exciting times are ahead indeed for the Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's King Cat Tournament Trail. Folks, if you want to find out more about this and find out about participating, then go to the website. You'll find it at King Cat, that's with a K, KingCatUSA.com, KingCatUSA.com. Check out the upcoming tournaments. The first one is April 9th on the Cumberland River in Clarksville, Tennessee, and there's a whole slew of them after that, and again, culminating in the King Cat Classic on the Tennessee River in Decatur, Alabama, November 4th and 5th. And who knows, 
you listening today might be the lucky angler who's going to win one of those boats from low and maybe a whole bunch of cash too. Bob, thanks so much for sharing this with us today. Okay, take care. This portion of the show was brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. And whether you are needing a powered knife and tool sharpener or a manual knife and tool sharpener, you're going to find what you need at WorkSharpTools.com. And WorkSharp products are also found in quality sporting goods stores, hardware stores, and ranch and home stores all over America. And the reason that they are so popular is because they're really handy, not just for sharpening knives, but also for sharpening tools. And with spring here, let's face it, you've probably got a lot of tools that need to be sharpened, and especially those powered knife and tool sharpeners from WorkSharp, they will help you do just that. So you can make quick work of that yard work this spring and get to doing something a little more fun. Explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. Why book at Sportsman's Cove Lodge? Why is Alaska like no other place on earth? It hasn't changed in thousands of years. From the way you get here on a float plane to the way you go out with the guides and the boats, it's just a professional experience. And I said, this is as good as it gets. I said, if you can't catch fish here, you can't catch fish anywhere. Your experience with us will leave you speechless. Book now at alaskasbestlodge.com. Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Jason Rousneville on the line. He is the executive director for Pope and Young. And if you're not familiar with this organization, you really need to be. Because they're doing some great work when it comes to our world of hunting. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. Happy to be here. So let's start off with a little history lesson here. Regarding the Pope and Young Club, who was Pope and who was Young? You know, Pope's the one on the left. Uh, <laughs> It's actually, you know, one of the things that I didn't know, and I've been a longtime bow hunter, I think a little over 30 years, is I'd kind of taken for granted that we'd always had bow season. And it turns out these were the guys who made it possible for us to have bow seasons throughout the country. So Saxton Pope and Art Young, who the club is named after, these are some of the original guys that went out specifically to prove that this was a legitimate means for taking big game. And Saxon Pope, he actually was introduced to archery by Ishii, who was, as most people know, the last you know remaining wild Native American in the United States. And he wandered out of the woods in Northern California and wound up, you know, Saxton Pope was working with him at the university and was just enthralled by this culture and, you know, the aura of the bow and arrow. And it was just one of those things where it was just, I think the right people got connected with the right people and it just kind of started from there. When did this all start? Are we talking the early 1900s? 
Yes. And then Pope and Young, our organization was actually founded. We're in our 60th year right now. We just actually, this is their 61st year. We just celebrated 60 years in Reno in July. Pope and Young, they basically became bow hunters and they wanted to share bow hunting with the world. So they start this organization. And how did they actually lobby fish and game agencies to start archery seasons, which I, I understand 60 years ago were not a thing anywhere? Right. And so it wasn't wasn't actually uh, Pope and Young that did the lobbying. They kind of started the revolution and started showing people, you know, the possibilities. And then Pope and Young was actually founded in Washington State, the organization, and it was actually founded to present to fish and game agencies. Here are some trophies that were taken with the bow and arrow. This proves it's a legitimate weapon to be considered in the fish and game regulations. And so that is actually how our records program began, was to legitimize this with fish and game agencies all across the country. And it's, you know, worked very well. And, you know, to this day, we do a lot of different things, but we're probably best known for our records program. I want to get into that in a minute, but before we do, question for you, if you know the answer, are there any states that don't have archery seasons at this point? Not to my knowledge. I believe we've got them all across the country. Yeah, job well and done. It, yeah, in fact, uh, we our records were used to help get archery seasons established in Russia a few years ago. So it's, I know not a lot of people are going to Russia right now. Uh, but no, <laughs> Not so much, not so much. But that's just fantastic that this organization was able to do that. That's quite an accomplishment. Now let's turn to the record keeping, because when it comes to scoring your head and your horns, people, I think, get confused between the Pope and Young score and the Boone and Crockett score. Why don't you tell us the difference? You bet. So in most cases, the Boone and Crockett score and the Pope and Young score are going to be the same. In fact, we have a memorandum of understanding that if our scorers do it, they'll accept that and vice versa. So if if you want to get something scored for Pope and Young, you can either call a Pope and Young official measure or a Boone and Crockett official measure. And there are a few differences Number one is the way pronghorns are scored. And then another one is Pope and Young actually accepts velvet entries where Boone and Crockett does not. But overall, very similar scoring. Our scoring system is based off of theirs. And in fact, last year, we just did a combined measuring manual between both organizations. So it is going to be the same. Okay, here's a question for you. Pope and Young, do they only record animals that were taken with archery equipment? Only bows. Yep, has to be taken with bow and arrow. And Boone and Crockett takes both? Boone and Crockett, and I tease the guys over there about this. I was like, you know, Pope and Young's a hunting organization, but Boone and Crockett, they'll just take anything. (laughs) They're like, well, you know. I was like, well, if I hit it with my car, will you take it? And they're like, come on, Jason. (laughs) Um, So they're a records organization, so they will take it regardless of method of kill. If you find it, it's taken with a rifle, bow. Um, They'll even take crossbow stuff, so... Gotcha. And that was actually my next question. Pope and Young, when it comes to crossbows, I know that there's some feelings about that in the hunting community, whether crossbows should be allowed or not. Does Pope and Young support the use of crossbows when it comes to bow hunting? You know, we support all legal methods of hunting. Our official take is that a crossbow is not archery equipment. And then by archery equipment, it has to be a vertical, hand-drawn, handheld bow. So we're talking recurve bows, we're talking compound bows. 
Yep, recurves, long bows, compounds, any and any of those are, are great for us. Are you seeing the ranks of hunters during this COVID pandemic increase, especially on the archery side? And are you seeing that translate to, to more members too? Yeah, we've noticed that. You know, you see that across the industry. A lot of people are taking up hunting, taking up fishing. And archery is one of those things that you can do. A lot of folks can do it in their backyard. You know, if you've got 20, 30 yards of distance in your backyard, you can actually practice fairly consistently with a bow. You don't have to shoot out 60, 70 yards to have fun and and enjoy it and kind of perfect the art of archery. So we are seeing that. Our membership, you know, it's hard to say if it's that or some of the other changes that we've been making have been having a difference, but we have seen an increase lately. There's three pillars of Pope and Young. At least that's what I see in the brochure. Preserve, promote, and protect. Briefly, you got about a minute here to go through all three of those, what that means. So for us, we just re-kind of focused on that this past year. And so we we broke it down to those three things. Preserve, we hit that with the records program and, and the museum that's moving to Springfield, Missouri, the National Bow Hunting Museum. The Promote, we do that in a number of shows, mountain archery festivals, S3DA, all across the country. And for the Protect, this is something that we feel, you know, we're the voice for bow hunters in North America, and there are attacks on bow hunting almost every day. So we like to make sure that we have a voice in that say, whether it's the primary voice or whether we're backing somebody else up so that we just make sure that bow hunters have a say when our seasons are being threatened. Final question. Give me the 30-second elevator speech about why our listeners should join Pope and Young. You know, it's a great organization. It's one of those things where you have the ability to come into Pope and Young, and even if you're fairly new at archery or bow hunting, you have the ability especially at our conventions, to sit down with the legends of the industry. You can sit down with Jack Frost, Chuck Adams, folks like that who have been there and done it, and they're just so approachable. So I think that's one of the big things. The other thing is that we're literally the only organization looking out for bow hunters right now, and we've been doing it for 60 years. So if you're a bow hunter, you know, even if you don't have that record book animal yet, you can still be a member. You can still join, support bow hunting while we're supporting you. Great elevator speech there and great reason if you're a bow hunter or want to be a bow hunter to join the Pope and Young Club. You can find out more and join today by going to pope-young.org. That's pope-young.org. Jason, great chatting with you again. Look forward to doing so again in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, John. Sure appreciate it. our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstances, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the darkest of times. 
we can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true. To provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities, Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. That's huntofalifetime.org. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in Southeast Alaska for a while now, and there's a reason. They are the only Alaska Lodge we talk about in this show. It's because they're truly Alaska's best lodge. The adventure starts with a float plane ride from Ketchikan, after which you'll get the chance to experience some of the best hospitality, food, and wonderful people you'll ever meet. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales, and let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at Alaska's Best Lodge. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Country hunters and anglers, you may have heard of us, but what are we about? BHA is the voice for your wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. From national level policy work to boots on the ground projects like public land cleanups, we work across North America to uphold the legacy of our public lands and waters, as well as your opportunity to hunt, fish, and recreate on them. Stand up for public lands and waters and become a BHA member today. Visit backcountryhunters.org. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I've written about hunting for 40 years, much of it in bear country. I trust my life to bear spray because the research is in. It stopped bears 92% of the time and prevented injury 98% of the time. Bear spray requires less accuracy and won't harm your companions or the bear. Carry bear spray in bear country. Keep it accessible and practice. Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give you even more incredible discounts. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special, you'll see an incredible lineup. In fact, right now, it's the bedding sale. 50% off the following. Sheets, a 2-inch mattress topper, sleepwear, blankets, quilts, comforter. I'm Ken Matthews. I'm a big fan of Mike and a real big fan of MyPillow.com. That's where you need to go, by the way. You go to MyPillow.com. You scroll down till you get to the radio listener specials. Then you click on it. That's where you're going to save big when you enter the code Ken. That's my name, Ken. For example, a full body pillow... Regularly priced $117, now only $39.99. Made in America, comfortable, luxurious quality from my friend Mike Lindell at MyPillow.com. Enter promo code KEN. MyPillow.com, promo code KEN. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, I want to introduce you to Taylor Smith. Now, if you tune into our regional show, Northwestern Outdoors Radio, this name's going to sound familiar because we interviewed Taylor on that show a couple of months ago because he got second place in the Bass Nation Championship, earned himself a berth at the Bassmaster Classic, and now Taylor is driving home from the Bassmaster Classic that was held last weekend at Greenville, South Carolina and Lake Hartwell, and He's got a big smile on his face because he's got a $21,000 paycheck for coming in eighth place. Taylor, congratulations. 
Hey, thanks, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're uh, about six hours into our 37-hour drive home, so we're oh, trucking away gosh. here. And you're pulling a boat the whole way, too, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. We're hoping to not hit too much weather. Pass the tornado warnings, and we're heading towards snow. Oh my gosh. Well, it's going to be a long drive, but like I said, you've got to be in a good mood. Uh, this is actually your second Bassmaster Classic. You've done it both times through the Bass Nation. And, and I want to briefly talk about that because most of the 54 anglers that are at the Classic, they're full-time elite series anglers that do this all the time. Other ones are ones that fish the opens and they're fishing a lot of those trying to earn a berth to the Classic. But there's only like, what, two or three of you that come up through what they call the Grassroots Working Man's Weekend Warrior Bass Nation Circuit, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. It was crazy, John. I stood in front of a huge stadium yesterday and said just that. Everyone watching me there, I had something in common with, and that was I was going to work today. Um, Most of those guys were heading to the next tournament, but I was logging into the computer to work remotely today, and I'm doing that today. So, yeah, yeah, the Bass Station is an awesome opportunity for, you know, just a regular guy who has a normal day job but still has a passion and wants to compete at the highest level. It gives them an opportunity to do that. It's not easy to qualify through the nation. I've been lucky, really fortunate to do it twice, but it's a, a way to do it, and it's so much fun. I highly recommend it to anyone who has those aspirations. Now, you live not far from Spokane in eastern Washington. What is your day job? Yeah, so actually Progressive Insurance is sponsoring the Elite Series Angler of the Year this year, and Progressive is my employer. It has been since the day I graduated college. I've worked there for 14 years. They sponsored me to go to the Classic, and so I manage a, a business group for Progressive Insurance, and I love it. Well, I mean, you did absolutely fantastic getting eighth place out of 54 anglers, and you nearly caught the biggest bass of the tournament. That would have given you a, a nice additional paycheck. Tell our listeners about this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it was crazy. It was about mid-morning on the last day of the Bassmaster Classic. I probably had about 10 pounds. And I was on a Strike King Ocho for schooling fish, which is rare because it's March, early March. I never fished for schooling fish in March, but I found this group of fish that was schooling on shad. And I was throwing that Strike King caffeine shad, actually, um, to catch them. And a three-pounder was chasing it to the boat, and I paused it, and the three-pounder turned away. And I saw this, this mouth of this 611 come up and about 15 feet in front of the boat, eat my caffeine shad. <laughs> Uh, my heart was racing. Day three of the Bassmaster Classic for that to happen, it was pretty surreal. So, oh. uh, yeah, it was uh, it was an intense moment. My observer, you have an observer every day at the Classic. My observer was a, a high school angler, and he was just freaking out. I was running <laughs> around the boat trying to land that thing. It was pretty chaotic. I think I got video on the GoPro, so we'll see. I'll have to chop it up and see if I can find it. It was really neat, yeah. Oh, six pounds, 11 ounces, what a bass, and just one ounce short of the Phoenix Boats Big Bass, which would have given you $2,500, but it sure did help you get up in the standings on day three, didn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I called a two-pounder. So, yeah, it was a four-and-a-half-pound pull, so I probably would have had roughly 13 pounds and ended up with 17-and-a-half. So, yeah, 100%, John, yep. So I've got to ask you, you know, this is your second Bassmaster Classic, and you just did fantastic on the second one. What was your confidence level? Again, you know, you're going up against some very recognizable names, Brandon Polinek, Gerald Swindle, uh, Seth Fighter, Jason Christie, who actually won it all this year. You know, and here you are again, 
just a weekend warrior, working man that managed to get in there through the Bass Nation. I mean, you definitely showed him, but did you have that confidence going in that you could do this? That's a good question. Okay, so I guess I do have the confidence that I can compete with those guys. It's just because of the amount of time I've spent on the water. But for this tournament, my pre-fish wasn't very good, and so I didn't have a lot of confidence going into this particular tournament. When I found myself on day three, parked at the dock with the final 25 anglers, I was between Steve Kennedy and Gerald Swindle. And uh, (laughs) that can be a little intimidating, I guess, but I really did a good job of just taking in the moment. And it was such a blast. So to answer your question, I really do think, especially in the Northwest, you look at the Northwest anglers, and they don't have a close quarters, big tournament circuit to fish right? um, that can get you to the classic like the Opens. And so you have a lot of people stay home and do the local derbies, and they don't move on to bigger and better things because of the venues. And what it creates is a lot of really, really talented local Northwest anglers competing against each other. And I think there's as many talented guys from up there as anywhere in the nation, to be honest with you. And you see that at the Classic, you had three guys, Joey Nania, myself, and Brandon Polinick, all from within about 30 miles of each other fishing at the Bassmaster Classic. Well, there you go. And I'll ask you the same question I asked you the last time I had you on the air. I mean, you competed at such a high level here. Are you going to go pro at this point, or are you going to stick with the day job? (laughs) I've been asked that a ton of times the last couple days, and it's a good question. You know, there's a lot to consider there, but what I'll say is I'm a little bit risk adverse. Um, I guess, put it lightly, I like the thought of kind of knowing what 10 years down the road looks like financially and, you know, having a steady job. I'm a progressive. I kind of have a little control over that, whereas if you just drop everything and go fish professionally, there's a little bit more risk. And so I don't think that I'm going to try to go pro. The other thing is, you know, other life things get in the way of that. My wife, Michaela, is battling some health issues right now. And my focus solely right now after the Classic is on her and being there for her. And so not right now. You never know what the future holds. But at this point, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I think that's a great answer. Spoken like a man in the insurance industry, but also spoken like a man who loves his wife. And I'll be praying for your wife, and I know our listeners will too, as she continues to battle these health issues. Again, though, uh, congratulations on doing so well, especially, you know, coming up through the Bass Nation, competing against, you know, 54 anglers, the best that are out there, and coming out eighth place, bringing home a check. That's a lot to be happy about on the long drive home, Taylor. Thanks, John. Yeah, it makes the 37, 38 hours a lot better. I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> couldn't be happier, man. I'm really grateful, and I appreciate you having me on your show. You betcha. Safe travels. We'll catch you again soon, Taylor. Okay. Thanks, John. In other news, we've got good news out of the state of Virginia where the House and Senate have approved a bill that will let hunters actually hunt on Sundays. This was something that's been prohibited for years for religious reasons and norms back in the day, and they finally got the votes to do this, and Governor Glenn Youngkin is expected to sign this into law, and not only deer hunters, but duck hunters and turkey hunters and others who enjoy hunting in the Old Dominion state will get the chance to do so on Sundays. And this is actually really good news because let's face it, most people work during the week and if you're trying to recruit new hunters into the sport, getting them out on the weekend is a great way to do it. Organizations like our friends at Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and Delta Waterfowl, among others, are very happy about the passage of this bill. 
We may be hitting the middle of March, but there's still some sportsman shows going on around our great nation. That includes the Central Oregon Sportsman Show that's happening this weekend at the Deschutes County Fairgrounds in Redmond, Oregon. Later this week, you've got the Bighorn Outdoor Adventure Show happening for the first time in two years in Spokane, Washington at the Fair and Event Center. That'll be March 17th through the 20th. That same time frame from the 17th through the 20th is when the International Sportsman's Expo is taking place near Salt Lake City at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy. That promises to be a good one, as does the ISE show in Denver the following week, March 24th through the 27th at the Colorado Convention Center. Heading to the Midwest, the Open Season Sportsman's Expo, formerly known as the Deer and Turkey Expo, goes off at the Bricker Building in Columbus, March 18th through the 20th, and another Open Season Sportsman's Expo will happen the following weekend, the 25th through the 27th, at Wisconsin Dells in Wisconsin. Finally, we've got the Maryland Sportsman Show for you. That one is happening at the Howard County Fairgrounds in West Friendship, Maryland on the 26th and 27th. After that comes the month of April, and frankly, it's time to get out of those convention centers and into the field and onto the water to enjoy some hunting and fishing and outdoors fun. And with that, we've got to wrap things up for today, but here's hoping you are blessed in the days ahead, and here's hoping that you can find some time even before April to get out there and have some fun. After all, it is your country and your outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it. A sharp blade makes short work of any project you have in the outdoors, in the kitchen, or in the shop. Hone your knives and tools with quality power and manual sharpeners from WorkSharp. Find out more at WorkSharpTools.com.